I want school choice for black people because I want us to be free. I want us to be free to decide what we learn, where we learn it, how we learn it, from whom we learn it. And that to me is the total freedom that has been not afforded to black people for years. Welcome to In Piazza. I'm Jeannie Allen, and I'm speaking today with someone who's no stranger to controversy, who has allies and even some detractors who take issue with his hardline views on education, and at the same time is someone that I consider an incredibly courageous, uh, smart, and dedicated uh, individual looking for what's best for kids, at least most of the time, which we're going to get into today. <laughs> I'm talking about Chris Stewart, uh, aka at Citizen Stewart on Twitter. He's the co-founder of Eight Black Hands Podcast and his own podcast called Citizen Stewart. Chris is the chief executive officer of Brightbeam, a nonprofit network of influencers working to shine a light on learning opportunities for children, um, for all children to thrive. And I want to hear more about that, Chris. Prior to that, he was CEO of Education Post, uh, Chief Executive Wayfinder Foundation, and ED of the African American Leadership Forum as well. Really cool stuff. In 2007, Chris was elected to the Minneapolis Public School Board of Education. Uh, daring thing to do, I, I dare say. Uh, helping establish the Office of New Schools, an area that Minneapolis um, public schools used to implement a number of school reform strategies. He's based in Minneapolis and is the father of four kids. Do I remember that right? Five total. Five. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Amazing. Um, and he's a big champion of helping Black fathers in particular succeed and students of color gain respect and value in education and society. Chris, welcome. Thank you. So in Piazza is um, the phrase for being around the town square. I, I named it that because it's the place where people go to do everything from create their own town government to fight about whose pasta is better to celebrate the new baby in the square. And so it's supposed to be all sorts of things. And so we've been talking a lot uh, about a number of issues. So I want to dive into um, something first that we really haven't talked about and then get into some of the more um, crazy issues going on. Let's talk about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's such a big issue for me uh, as a woman, as a mother, and as someone who knows the value of fatherhood, but particularly fatherhood strength for African-American men. Tell me about what you're doing, where you come down on this, how you're helping that. You know, the very first thing is just talking about it and making it a thing, like reasserting it as an issue that we can talk openly about. And not just from the perspective of what fathers aren't doing, but just in general of many men who come to fatherhood uh, and I'm writing, it's funny you should ask this, I'm writing about it today, um, are almost first generation parents uh, in some ways. Right. So if you are a good dad today, no one gave you the book on being a dad. I know my my first, my oldest kid, I remember the first time I was ever left alone with him. And I just couldn't believe that anybody in the world thought it was a good idea to leave a baby alone with me. Like, like it hit me, the gravity of the situation hit me. And that was like my moment of reckoning that I'm a man and I'm going to become this thing called a father and I'm going to put my all into it, but I don't have all the source material that I need. Of course, you know, I had lots of men in my family that taught me lots of things, but nobody really gave you the fatherhood training. 
right? Or the talk of what a great father is or any of that, right? And I, you know, learned a lot, you know, I'm going into my fourth decade of being a father. Uh, and I, you know, my youngest is, is uh, 13. And there's just so much we don't talk about as men. We don't have fellowship. We don't have fellowship around fatherhood and fathering. We don't help each other out solving each other's problems. And many fathers are struggling. Many fathers um, there's a couple of things going on that I think are really important. Number one, especially with black fathers, good black fathers are invisible to the public. Um, so my feed is normalized with there's people in my feed up and down of black males showing their pictures of their babies and their kids doing things every weekend and we talk about it or whatnot. But when the topic comes up, it's not us. That's at the front of the topic. America's like ignoring black fathers. But I started thinking about it a lot the more I would talk to people about it. It's not just black fathers. Fathers, period, often are, don't have all the clues that they need. They have right. insecurities. They have doubts. Am I doing the right things? And when it comes to the education issue, most people know that women make the decisions in education for their families, mostly, mm-hmm. right? Like, so dad is kind of like this ancillary little unit over here. And I want to stop that, mm-hmm. right? There's a oh. way more active role for men to play and for us to play. I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because you're right. No one's kind of going, hey, there's there's an intact family or active fathers, even if the family's not intact. Well, that's one of the main main things that people don't see is that there how many active fathers there are that are not married. When we talk about fatherhood, we often talk about talk about out of wedlock birth or um, fatherless kids. When in fact, those kids aren't fatherless. Fatherless, they have active fathers. Their families look different. And we're doing a disservice to the men who wake up every day who are working jobs that they hate for kids that they love, uh, mm. fathers that are paying child support, fathers that are going into courts trying to get their kids uh, on equal time and being told summarily, no, child stays with mom, you pay her money, right? There's a lot of things under this issue that we don't talk about, actually, what what is the reality of a lot of men in the United States? And it's very frustrating if we want fathers if we really believe in fathers and we believe in fatherhood, we need to enact a more uh, father-friendly frame uh, in our policies and in the way that we see the world. And we got to start lifting up the good ones. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people it. definitely would agree, but something you just said about mothers being very involved, um, let's kind of transition a little bit into the education piece um, more wholly. Um, mothers involved, there's probably more men though that seem to be active writers and researchers than women in the education space. That's begun to change mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. but I wonder if mm-hmm. we counted it. But you know, there's honest people out there talking about lots of different issues. And we have mm-hmm. this issue in education where a lot of kids aren't getting educated and the majority of kids aren't getting educated look like you. And you're mm-hmm. the first to say that. Mm-hmm. And and the majority of people who are teaching them don't look like you. Mm-hmm. And then the majority of people talking about it are also not people of color, mm-hmm. which a lot of us never really like. We thought, okay, well, that's all right. It's because we'll just talk about them and we'll talk on behalf of those kids. But you seem to think that you're not supposed to talk about it really or be act as actively engaged unless you can relate one-on-one with those kids. And you're challenging a lot of people, particularly white conservatives, about their views on things, Mm -hmm. while they also agree with you on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So let's unpack that. 
why are a lot of people really mad at you about what you say? And why are you so mad at other people what you say? Well, so first of all, I don't think it's all or nothing, but I just want to correct the record just a little bit to okay. say uh, I have as many people on the left who, who are after me. And listen, I called out the American public education system for being a racist system that sorts kids into different tracks. Uh, because you have lots of pensionistas, people who are invested in the system saying exactly the way that it is. And those are people that don't look like my community who are lording over my kids. They are lording over, you know, 8 million black kids are walking into schools every day that are run by middle class white professionals that uh, have a vested interest in things staying exactly the same. And when I point that out, and that to me is an empirical fact, that's there's nothing I just said that I can't prove with research or data, you know, the status quo uh, workforce is just what it is. I can count it up and I can tell you what it is. I can tell you what yeah. demographic it is. The student body, I can show you who they are, right? So this is empirical knowledge, but they get super mad because you're pointing out, they're the ones that usually call racism on everything. And you're pointing out the system that they're literally invested in is a very racist system in many ways. So they'll come after me. Like, you know, you must be a privatizer, union buster. You must, you know, hate public schools. And, right. you know, you don't like kittens and rainbows and whatever, you know? And, you know, as long as I'm doing that, my conservative friends are happy with me. They're happy because I'm calling out the hypocrisy of the left. Well, I'm not and happy I'm, with you. You keep praising that... Randy Weingarten. What's <laughs> up with that? Like she's, you know. she's the reason that those people are in the classroom because she doesn't let anyone fire them because you're supposed to stay until you're 80 years old and walk away with a pension, even if you didn't do a good job. So why are you praising Randy? Man, this is so funny. Is I mean, like with the conservatives, like, uh, well, you know, Malcolm X has this quote, um, you know, I'm for the truth, no matter who says it, uh, I'm for justice, no matter who's against it, meaning there's no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. And my permanent interest exactly. is in free black people getting an education that we determine for ourselves how yes. we want it to be. My fight with the, the conservatives right now is really simple. It's just so simple. When we talk about school choice and the, all this time that we've been talking about school choice and agreeing on it. I've been an anti-racist school choice person. I want school choice for black people because I want us to be free. I want us to be free to decide what we learn, where we learn it, how we learn it, from whom we learn it. And that to me is the total freedom that has been not afforded to black people for years. That's why I was for school choice. Exactly. But I realized at some point, that's not why my friends were for school choice. My friends were for school choice for a lot of other reasons, which is why some of them right now are okay with marrying school choice to an anti-black agenda which outlaws entire schools of thought that I might want for my kid. Now, this is where we have a problem. Now we're no longer friends. We're no longer, we're with, we're school choice friends all the way up until you start passing laws that prevent my kid from learning what I want them to learn. So for example, CRT in Florida schools, not having CRT in Florida schools or whatever the influence may end up being that the governor or other people want you go, well, I might want a choice of a school for my kids, quote unquote, in Florida, but you can't take all that stuff away if that's something. I want racial history. I want anti-racism teaching, whether it's CRT or something else. I mean, that's, again, that's sort of throwaway line these days. It seems to um, cover just about everything, including what you're eating for supper. Really honest. Yeah. We have been together on school choice. What I have wanted all along is learner freedom. And right now, some of our school choiciest states don't have learner freedom. Learner so, so Arkansas, Virginia, Oklahoma, Iowa, 
Florida, the most choiciest market in the world, now all have restrictions on learner choice. They have school choice without learner choice. And that to me is the break. That's the breaking point. So what's the very specific learner choice, for example, let's just play with Florida since it's in the news and is the choiciest state right now. What is the specific learner prohibition? Beyond because the the AP issue with African American history, mm-hmm. it's high school, it's an elective. Yeah, okay, fine. And and he will argue, and I have not looked. I looked at that, but I've not looked at African American history in Florida at high school level to see whether I agree with him that they're still there or whatever grades. What are they prohibiting that you're not allowed to teach? I mean, you just mentioned a big part of it. So okay. that the laws are written as such, they can pull any book off of the shelf. The books that they have already pulled off the shelf are largely African-American or race-related books or ethnic studies-related books that I would want for my kids to read and gender studies books, books that have some sort of gender studies uh, um, premise to them. There's also, you know, um, uh, college professors that are now canceling Afrocentric classes, classes that teach African-American, not just history, but thought. Right. So if you look, if you think about uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, he had Marxist kind of friends. Right. So maybe you don't want Marxism taught. So now all of a sudden you want to take away one of the primary scholars in African-American history. Right. And replace him just with Booker T. Washington and call it a day. Why do I want some chief head state guy telling me what my kids should be able to learn about uh, when it comes to those other things? Are they saying that W.E.B. Du Bois is out? Or are they I mean, saying that is, or is it fitting a description? See, this is the problem with state yeah, law. They're, they're, ta- they're attaching them to CRT. So now if, a, if I'm a white student sitting in those classes, I can say, this makes me uncomfortable. So take the black people stuff out because it makes me uncomfortable. And that's the way these laws are going down. There's not a single black uh, governor in the United States who's passing anything that prevents white kids from learning what their white parents want them to learn. It is happening to us by my school choice friend governors in multiple states right now, many states, and it's totally unnecessary. You never had to do that to sell uh, school choice. I think that's like, that's 0.005% of people out there. And they may have some influence, but they're not people who are in a movement that most people I know belong to. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people who believe that the people who hold your opinion is now... Um, outdated. You're part of the like, you know, choice for all coalition. I'm like the old. Am I the old? I'm like they call they call it. Um, what do they call it? legacy I, ed reformers? That's what they. That's what. They, yeah, they're calling it like. But these are people that you know who have the most power in the movement right now. There are people right now that are in very bad faith, ginning up the wrong argument in school choice, and I think they they're high on their own supply because they're winning some um, some state victories. I am I am predicting that my friends who are thinking that short-sighted, that monopartisan, monoracial way of thinking are ruining school choice as a, a big tent movement. And I'm getting off the bus early because I want to be able to say in the future that I saw it for what it was. I got off the bus because I have integrity and I am still for learner freedom and I am for school choice, but it's for everybody. It's not to be used to, to create new bigot bureaucracies in different states that are going to use the heavy hand of government to go through our libraries and start pulling out books that I want my kids to read and that my kids are mature enough and educated enough in my household to be able to read. I want to know in the future that I said it early, 
and that I got off because every one of these type of things that has ever happened in history, you have to go back and wonder what the hell were people thinking? So let me ask you a question at the risk of once again, being criticized for asking a black person or criticizing <laughs> a black person because I'm not black. And we know what we're talking about. Our famous friends out, out in elementary, which I don't necessarily agree that you're not supposed to be in a position to say anything because I was raised color neutral. And whether that's supposed to be the good thing today or not, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but what, what is it like, is there a way that you could see whether it's Virginia, Florida or California, a, a, you know, a more left-leaning, very left-leaning state. Is there a way that you can see why kids should learn positive things about each other, as well as the great contributions that may have been made by people. So that's why you have African-American studies and ethnic studies and other people who are having to recreate all that was lost and was never told, the story that was never told. And the people who are now having a problem with it or an issue with it still hold all the cards and all the power. I just said earlier, there's not a single Black governor in the United States that's actually taking away Thomas Jefferson from out of the the, the white canon. It's just not happening anywhere. It's just white people, white governors wanting to dictate what everybody else learns. There is no reason that DeSantis has to even touch AP African-American studies. It is an elective class that traces Black thought and Black history assembled by a set of Black scholars who have spent their whole lives studying the issue. If we did that with the Polish or the Irish or the Italians, Chris Stewart would have no problem with it. I'm interested in the Irish and the Irish experience. Like if you assembled a bunch of Italian scholars to say this is the contribution that Italian Americans made to the United States as an intellectual person is I would be interested in that. I'd be interested in hearing that and seeing that. I wouldn't, my first gut reaction would be, why are you making the Irish or the, the Italians so great? I would not, there's no black American that I know would freak out if um, any of these other AP courses that were designed as electives, like if there was a, you know, a Jewish studies one, if there's, there is, you know, a European studies one, whatever, I don't have anything to say about those really. I, I just really don't like it's an elective and it's an advanced elective. Like it's really advanced. The work there is is really kind of challenging and advanced. And the one that was put together by African-American studies, I happen to know some of them. They're thoughtful people who spent a lot of time really thinking about that only to have it burn up in the press as being something that it wasn't. And that creates resentment that will be repaid. That will be repaid because there was no need for a governor to humiliate an entire group of people, one race of people, one group of people, just for having their own say in an elective. There was no need to do it. It was only a political stunt. And he knew exactly who he was entertaining with that humiliation of Black people by doing that. If we want to sell school choice, we can sell school choice without any of this sport, this blood sport. There is no need for any of that. There's no need to take entire thought systems off the table. There's no need to attack books and things that we don't like. We're in America. I don't think it's just conservatives. I do think there are a lot of parents out there and there are some very, very reasonable things upon which... Reasonable people might disagree about what age it's okay to have a book in the library that you can't repeat on public television or that a hearing had a, a newscast had a blurb out when the person, the kid, was reading from the book 
on on a Hill hearing. Like the TV had to blurp, blurp it out. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate reflection. I know that you're a, you're a thoughtful person. I disagree on a lot of the ba basis, but I do believe that there is more honesty and more thought that goes into something like that, whether it's DeSantis who says it or a Gina Raimondo who, you know, uh, when she was governor of Rhode Island, said a lot of things that people on the right didn't like. If I, as a Black professional, move to several states in the United States now, white people have taken off of the education docket and have censored things that I want my kid to learn and that are good for my kid. We have not done that to any other group anywhere else. We are not doing that. So the idea that we would just come together and be okay with that is just an unreasonable claim. This is a point in time in history where good people of good faith stand up and say things that say, say something about things that are incredibly wrong and we know it. It is incredibly wrong. We know that it's race-based. Yeah. We know it's education censorship. We know it's needless and it's unnecessary. It's political and it's being done on purpose because there's a portion of the American electorate that likes to see Black people get disciplined and get punished by white people in authority. And if we cannot tell the truth about this like any other time in history, like this is these things have happened before. I love reading the stories of the people of good faith who stood up against things that were just obviously wrong. And this is obviously wrong. I am a school choice supporter. I have been for a long time. My name is all over school choice for the last 10 years, at least in writing and in print in every way possible. I have always wanted it to be for everybody. I have never wanted it to be for one small group to use as a power against anyone else. I don't think we have to sell it that way. We do not have to sell it. We do not have to do what we're doing right now in these several states. Youngkin has a, in, 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 in Virginia, Youngkin mm -hmm. has a pretty solid education plan. There was no need for him to go the extra mile into the bigotry, right? Underneath DeSantis's plan, so-so. Just, just, what did he do that was bigotry? Just so everyone- Well, heard. just, you know, joining the whole kind of uh, white suburban mom, anti-trans, anti-black, anti-CRT, removing, uh, rewriting the history standards and all that to appease one group of people because they didn't want their little white kids learning things about black history. That was unnecessary because underneath his education plan is some pretty solid stuff about teaching, learning, data, assessments, everything else that I care about. That's what education is about. It's a science to, to educate kids. Virginia's plan for that is actually pretty good. So is Florida's. I, I can't speak much to Iowa's and to, to Oklahoma's and even Texas, because I think they all got weird stuff going on. But in Tennessee, pretty solid stuff happening, right? Republicans could totally be running just on the educational stuff that they're doing. They don't need this extra kind of antagonistic, anti-Black, divisive stuff as an overlay, because they actually have pretty good solid plans that I can get on board with. Everybody should be able to get on board with. They're just not leading with that. They're not running with that. What do you think of um, people who I also consider friends that I've respected, uh, I respect over time, um, like Bob Woodson and Ian Rowe, who would say, there's no one out to get us in those groups that you just described. There's a lot of really bad people that are out to get us, you, but there's nobody out to get us. They're looking for ways to actually elevate and make sure everyone has access to all the education. But at the same time, there is a there is a moral value out there that you want to say, let's make sure we're teaching things that are good, not somebody's, you know, third rate novel about how, you know, at seventh grade, you should be thinking about this issue that your parents would never think about. Like, 
they would push back on you. Are they not? Do they not represent African American thought? No, they don't. Not at all. They literally don't. And I know them. I well, I know Ian personally, and it, him and I have had this conversation. You know, um, he does not have the foundational black experience of the United States. His his thoughts and his ideas, though it, they work really well in white conservative rooms and white conservatives. This is this is like white people's favorite black people. Um, they love them. But the fact of the matter is I've seen them in rooms with all black people and it isn't pretty oftentimes. And they do not represent when you, all you have to do is this, look at black public opinion, look at the polls of what black people believe in, what they vote for uh, and what they think about these issues and then match it up against what they say. And you don't have to ask me the question then. You can just look at what they're they're saying. That would be like me saying, um, you know, again, white people have all these different thoughts. It doesn't make them any less white or any less again i don't even think this way so it's they're not in keeping with black people that's just the that's just with black people so they're just, just it's so just bob a, woodson who was in his late 80s who cut his teeth in civil rights just like a howard fuller and and we'll talk not about just like a howard fuller there. not just like a howard well fuller. he was he had he had not a just lot like of one. himself yeah because robert Fuller. i mean howard fuller though we'll just say for the record his ideas are in keeping with what the majority of black people express when you research black people, black opinion, black thought, what black people vote for. You have to wonder why conservatives are so in love with black outliers, like the black outliers, the ones that actually um, parrot the thoughts of white uh, conservatives, right? And I get why they would do that. It's a great it's strategy. Because they don't believe that that's what they're doing. What they believe is they hear reason. They hear, of course, we want to learn about W.E.B. They hear black we people saying- about the- Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, but they hear. So listen, this is they great. They hear what they, they want to hear. They saying. hear what they want to hear. They find the you, yeah. you know. Listen, if I if I want to disagree with trans people, I go and find the trans person who says trans people are wrong. You know, if I want to um, if I want to say Mexicans are wrong, I go find the Mexican who will say Mexicans are wrong, and then I make celebrities out of them. This is what PragerU does. You know, they find the Candace Owens, uh, who really only has one job now. Her one job is to be a black person that says black people are wrong about everything. And that is actually entertainment value. I would be very entertained by that if I was the one who was seeking that out. Now, honest discussion and honest debate would not be like, because I think Ian is brilliant. For But if you brought like Ian that. or Bob Woodson to what you would consider like real Black thought, again, there's millions of people of many different colors, and now they're all very integrated and lots of yeah. different nationalities are integrated. I, I don't know how you can say all Black people think this way, but- no, nobody's saying group? that they all think this way, but I will say this even about myself. I hold ideas that are outside of the outside of what black people think. So just like Ian and just like uh, Woodson, I myself have thoughts and ideas about politics and about different yeah, things that are outside of the mainstream of what uh, black folks think. I tend to stick with the ones when I'm thinking about black thought, I tend to stick within the lineage of black thought. And we have a lineage that goes back decades and you know hundreds of years. So I know when I am, I've got my own understanding that that like I could stand in a room, I've been dressed down before in rooms full of black people because I'm holding oftentimes, Jeannie, it's because of standing with someone like you <laughs> and supporting, you know, like that. And I will get dressed down for it. I'm fine with that. I'm okay with it. I'm sure Ian is okay with it. Uh, I'm sure Woodson is okay with it. And there are a cadre of folks that are like them. 
I just don't spend as much time as they do outside of um, okay. the mainstream of Black thought. I respect what you're saying. I'm processing it. I think other people should process it. I'll think of 15,000 things I want to say back to later. I don't think that's the point of this. I really wanted to give you an opportunity to um, to talk about your your views um, because they are they are grabbing a ton of um, challenging commentary and I see them sometimes <laughs> and I'm like you're wrong that's not right um, and uh, I I don't think it's the most holistic approach to take but um, you have you have a job to do and you're and you're doing it well whether I agree or not one last thing let me ask you mm -hmm. um, it was indeed for the most part, Black parents who put DeSantis over the top. And they weren't necessarily people who hang around in rooms, in fact, not at all, um, with a lot of white conservatives. They were parents who wake up in the morning and have nothing, and they had an option. And when they looked at the option, they go, wow, I can do that. Kind of reminds me of the mom I met in D.C. years ago when I cut my teeth here on School Choice. And she came to a forum and um, she came with her daughter, actually. It was a grandmom and her daughter was not in a good way. And she said, um, so wait, my grandchild could get up and put a uniform on like those little kids I see going to school all the time on my way to work. Like she can put a uniform, she can put anything. She could go to a different school and it like transformed her. So those parents were there for DeSantis. Were they bad? Were they duped? Like... Or was that their self-interest they were voting? I mean, I've heard this talking point before and I like have always challenged it because it's just not true. Um, <laughs> I mean, listen, I saw the I world. I saw them, Chris. I saw them. There were like, there's thousands of them that came out. It was kind of like when Eva Moskowitz took a bunch of parents across the Brooklyn Bridge years ago. Yeah, I mean, And the well, voting listen. records say 36,000 Black voters made the big difference in his election yeah i uh, i saw um saw that commentary and i saw the wall street journal and a whole bunch of conservative think tanks put it out black choice moms push DeSantis over the top it's just not true and um um you, the only thing i could go back to is you can't say things like that and at the same time be bemoan the fact that there is no single group that votes more for democrats uh even the ones that people presume are not serving their best interests. Actually, there is no group that votes more for Democrats than black women, uh, like in the 90s. Like, so when they go down two or 3% or whatever, people are like, oh my God, like, you know, this percentage of black women voted for Republicans or whatnot. And I'm still like, it's in the 90s. Are you kidding me? This is like the most reliable Democrat voting block, even though, because I'm not a Democrat, even though I would say, Oftentimes that's one of those things where I'm outside of the, you know, the mainstream black opinion is like, I am not, you know, a Democrat. So there's, there, that's where I act outside of like one of those things. Right. But if, if 12 or 13%, like I think it's 12 or 13% voted for Trump, uh, um, black folks voted for Trump. And that was more men than women actually did that. And that was more than George Bush had gotten uh, from black folks. So it was like yeah. this tick up and people were like, Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. you know, look at all these. And I'm thinking all these, yeah. I mean, really like, 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 perspective. It, yeah. Perspective. I mean, it's still pretty much the most solid Democrat voting block that there is, uh, with right. very little variation, right? Um, very little, 
even when I don't love it as a as a loyalty, a thing that we have loyalty to, I have to acknowledge it. Yeah, Pretty yes. solid. So I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk about these things. I'm, there are scurrilous things said about me right now that I actually am not appreciating. I take it as a badge of honor that I've pissed off some, you know, I've pissed off liberals for years, and now I'm starting to piss off, uh, you know, conservatives who don't like the fact that I am pointing out what I think is a grave error in strategy. And the strategy to go needlessly into divisive politics to pit white suburban moms versus everybody else means that that everybody else is going to be up for grabs. And I, I believe trans people should have school choice. I believe that black people should have school choice and others. So my movement is going to be better than that movement. I think that I think everybody needs school choice. I agree with you on that. I don't agree that there's the kind of intensity and uh, deliberate um, push to push white folks thinking on that. Um, I think there are bad people in every single kind of level of the world. It's where there is an angel and there is a devil. There is a God and there's a devil. And there are lots of angels. Um, thank God we have most of them, but uh, there are some bad ones too, whispering and making wreaking havoc on the world. But that said, um, speaking of uh, during a holy week for lots and lots and lots of people, um, it's a good time to think and be open to different thought um, and continue to look for truth and light. Um, and that's what we do in Piazza. And Chris, I'm grateful that you joined me to do that and have a challenging conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Thanks for joining us in Piazza. Come back throughout the month for more great conversations about advancing our human potential, how we educate our kids, acquire knowledge ourselves, and be better at work and building strong communities. You can find in Piazza wherever you get your podcasts and follow me at Jeannie Allen on Twitter and the podcast at in Piazza Pod. Thanks for listening. Ci vediamo.